Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In August 1939, Hetty Cartwright is tasked with the safekeeping of a natural history museum's collection of stuffed animals. The mammals were being evacuated. The foxes went first, in their cabinet with dust underneath so thick it was almost fur. Next, the jaguar with his toothy snarl, the collection of stoats, their bodies lovingly twisted into rictus shapes by the original taxidermist, the platypus in his boat, who was first believed a hoax because of the strangeness of his features. The mastodon skull with the nasal hollow that once caused it to be mistaken for the cyclops. And then the inky black panther that had been my favourite since I first saw him as a child visiting the museum. I had taken great care tying him up in sacking and rope so that he would not be disturbed on the trip north. And stroked his broad nose as if to reassure us both. The animals and the fossils, the specimens of this fine natural history museum were being dispersed across the country, each department bound for a different location to save them from the threat of German bombs in London. The mammals were being evacuated to Lockwood Manor and I was accompanying them as assistant keeper, a position I had reached after a rapid series of promotions due to two senior male members of staff enlisting. I would be in charge there, the de facto director of my own small museum. But Hetty soon realises that she's taken on more than she'd bargained for. When some of the animals go missing, and worse, Hetty begins to suspect someone or something is stalking her through the darkened corridors of the house. In this edition of Historical Fiction, History Hits' Alice Roberts talks to author Jane Healy about her new novel The Animals at Lockwood Manor, a gripping and atmospheric tale of family madness, long-buried secrets and hidden desires. This is Historical Fiction. So today we're going to be discussing your book, The Animals of Lockwood Manor, and it's all about World War II evacuations. But of course, it's not the usual type of evacuation. Can you tell me who or what the evacuees are? Yeah, so it's set during the evacuation of a collection from a natural history museum to a stately home. So it's all the fossils and skins and taxidermy. All the collections go out to the English countryside to be protected from the Blitz. And it is based on something that really happened. The Natural History Museum, their collections were evacuated to different houses. The initial spark for it was I came across a news story about the 
I can't remember what collection it was. I think it maybe was butterflies being evacuated to Forley Court in Henley, uh, where the workers had a bit of contentious relationship with a major and his daughter. And once I read that, I was like, oh, there's something there. You know, I'm really fascinated by the idea of grand houses stuffed full of just mute animals and odd things and bones and an amazing setting for a story. Yes, and I love the idea of all those stuffed animals being kept in that long gallery of this ancient Jacobean house. And she goes in and sees all these glass eyes looking out at her. It's really creepy, but it's an amazing setting for a gothic novel. Now, your main character, Hetty, she is the assistant at the museum and it's her job to look after the animals at Lockwood Manor. So, is it the Natural History Museum? I don't name it in the book because I didn't want to... I mean, partly legal. I don't know. I didn't want to name it like the Naturalist Museum. I call it a Naturalist Museum, but it is... I mean, it's based on the one in London, but it isn't. Okay, so we follow Hetty to Lord Lockwood's house, Lockwood Manor. And Lord Lockwood turns out to be a really nasty piece of work. He really frustrates lots of Hetty's efforts to keep the collection safe. And he even goes out of his way to have big parties where his guests, drunk on champagne, will go into the long gallery and they'll be climbing over all the animals and laughing at her when she asks them to respect the collection. So it's really very difficult for her. But tell me about Lockwood Manor. Is that a real place? No, it's kind of an amalgamation of different stately homes and just one I made up. <laughs> I can't even remember where I got the name Lockwood from, but... Although I did, I reread Wuthering Heights recently and there's a Lockwood character in that, so maybe that was in my head. I kind of grew up in the southeast of England and we used to visit stately homes a lot and castles and National Trust properties and things. And I think all of those buildings kind of worked their way into my mind and my memory. I mean, at the time as a child, I was like, I just want to get to the gift shop <laughs> at the end, buy my pencil. But wandering through all those different architectures and just all the odd bits of old houses where you're not quite sure, you know, what was this room used for? And I had a thing because I tried to make a map for it. Well, I did make a, like a rudimentary floor plan for the house because I was, you know, I'm saying I need to know where all the scenes are. And so I had like a simple floor plan. But then as I was writing and editing, the floor plan kind of changed. If you haven't, I suppose, been trained in like draftsmanship and architecture, how do you know how everything fits together? And it became a kind of gothic thing in itself because my editor was interested she was like oh have you got a finished kind of floor plan we might use it but I couldn't at that stage like after several rounds of edits I just couldn't make it fit all the rooms kept moving and I was like where do I put the stairs and it's really odd I have a, a mental map of it in my head you know and as I'm writing in I'm with the character I know what the character's seeing but what about the rooms the character can't see and all the spaces and the different floors and I think I mean that's in the book itself because both of the Hetty and Lucy Lockwood, the daughter of the major who lives there, both are trying to map the house, trying to find their way through. But there's just too much research. If you think about making a floor plan of a house that you don't know, all the different decades and like centuries of rooms and foundations and where do you put the plumbing? And So this is a book about natural history collections, but you've really got a background in the Gothic and you've studied at Edinburgh University. Actually, a great place to study the gothic I suppose it's really incredibly dramatic up there but you looked at ghosts mothers and libraries in Jane Eyre and literary descendants like Rebecca so 
Can you tell me a bit about your experience with the Gothic? And also, I should mention at this point, you are named after Jane Eyre. That's pretty cool. Well, to give a bit of backstory, yeah, I was named after Jane Eyre and my mum gave me the book to read when I was about nine, but I only made it as far as the scene in the Red Room where Jane is locked and there's a there's a kind of spirit, a ghost in with her. And that freaked me out completely because I kind of grew up in a haunted house and I also saw ghosts because I had sleep paralysis episodes. So when I read that, I was like, oh my God, this is too, recognise it too much. But then at university undergraduate, I read Jane Eyre and loved it and just found Jane Eyre and all of its literary descendants really fascinating. So White Against the Sea, Rebecca, and also Margaret Atwood's Lady Oracle for kind of postmodern version. The themes of, I suppose, madness and trauma and mothers and daughters and just all the imagery that doubles and ghosts and mirrors and and libraries yeah yes I mean your book has literally ticked off every single one of those things (laughs) (laughs) so you're clearly very faithful to the gothic using lots of the traditional themes but are there any ways which you strayed away from that and made it a more modern kind of novel someone asked me whether I was doing something new deconstructing the gothic but I think I mean even with White I guess at sea she's deconstructing the gothic I think the themes of it are still so relevant. I suppose the horror, the domestic and the uncanny and the familiar. I mean, I'm thinking of it now as we're all stuck inside our homes, but just how those spaces can be really unsettling, how something like a door, whether it's locked or whether it's opened, noises and just how the domestic can be uncanny and unsettling. And I just think it's still so relevant and it's still such a just strong theme. I mean, you see a lot of gothic influences in film and TV and... Yes, I mean, gothic's really stood the test of time. You know, Jane Eyre is one of the most popular books people read. So there's definitely still an appetite for it. And your book really echoes some of these gothic themes. I mean, think about Jane Eyre, The Red Room, and your book's got this blue room that Lucy Lockwood is terrified of. You know, she knows it's in the house somewhere. It's almost haunting her. And she has these memories of being locked in it and all these spirits kind of overcoming her. There's also Wuthering Heights. There's Bertha. And she's this mad woman locked up in the house. And similarly, in your book, Lord Lockwood's wife, who's no longer alive, she was known to be this kind of mad woman who walked around the halls and was scared of this white lady who would follow her around and lots of the characters have these terrible dreams and see all these spirits and visions and that kind of thing so why are you so drawn to dreams and spirits selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage shopify is there to help you grow shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with shopify Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I think it's that personal experience, I suppose, as a child. <laughs> being unsettled. Well, just being frightened. Like, I'm still frightened of ghosts, I think, secretly. Well, I suppose just themically, it's figures from the past haunting you. It's like ancestors or repressed things that have happened to characters and seeing kind of human figures where there aren't human figures. Elsewhere in the country, I knew that people were having sleepless nights waiting for the invasion of the Luftwaffe, who, by late June, were beginning to make small-scale raids into Britain dropping bombs that were like the first few drops of rain before a downpour. But at certain hours of the night, when I lay awake at Lockwood, I found myself listening closely, not for sirens and planes and bombs, but for the sound of footsteps, the drag of fabric sweeping along the carpet. It was a different kind of incursion I anticipated in those small hours that seemed to stretch time to woozy proportions, a different damage I awaited. And I did not have to wait long. For the day after France officially surrendered, Lockwood was attacked by someone far closer to home than the Germans. There seems to be a bit of tension in the book. Hetty is desperate to save the collection. She knows how much time has gone into it. And on the other side, Lord Lockwood says, come on girl, get a grip, there's a war on these men might never return to England, you know, these people who are coming to this party. Who cares about stuffed animals? That's the kind of argument. And there's obviously logic on both sides of that. And even the servants, they seem much more concerned with their own lives than helping Hetty look after the collection. Maybe that's just because they're particularly unhelpful characters, I don't know. How do you think culture and heritage changed during the war? Did it become more precious to people in a time where... It was something from the past to hold on to or did it become irrelevant when people's houses were being blown up in London and people's family were dying? I think it just remained precious. The servants, I had them kind of not care much about the animals because I wanted them to be antagonists against Hetty. I'm not trying to make a class judgment that, you know, there's only certain people who cared about art or cultural history. It's just that I wanted her to be up against it from all angles. Something like National Gallery in London, how they had musical concerts during the war, during the Blitz, I find really moving. They used to have free concerts. I don't know if it was every day, but most of the paintings have been gone and been evacuated. But people came in and listened to piano recitals and other things. And when you think about the songs people listened to and going to the cinema and things like that, I think they were really important for people. And when I read quite a few diaries for research for, you know, World War Two and the home front, and, you know, people are still getting on with their lives and finding consolation, and people read a lot and went back to classics and read all sorts. People had a real hunger for that. I find it fascinating that that drive to save art and history and culture that 
they had these plans in place for years before the war started. You know, the idea that they knew there was this conflict coming. Back in London with the buildings, there were caretakers of the National Gallery and the Natural History Museum, and they were desperately trying to, because there were still some collections there, desperately trying to save them, you know, with the blitz and put out all the fires, and people put their lives on the line to save historical things and art and just really fascinating and moving. Now a big part of your book is about museums and natural history museums and preserving animals. You don't really have a background in any of that so tell me how you went about researching natural history collections and museums. Well I visited a lot of natural history museums again and again and took a lot of photos of the taxidermy and my phone is still like third of the storage is taxidermy pictures. <laughs> I find them quite unsettling. I've read books and read a few papers I could find online about looking at taxidermy from the time, you know, what materials would they use. So after I found out about that, the evacuation, I did make a decision not to go into Natural Museum archives to look for more specific information. And I think I'd read a few books. I think I knew that if I did too much research, I couldn't fit it into a gothic novel because in my novel, it's Hetty is kind of by herself at the house looking after the animals and there isn't really anyone else coming and going. But in reality, there would have been people from Ministry of Works who were in charge of requisitioning all these buildings for use during the war and there, there might have been scholars and it wouldn't have just been her by herself. Originally, I did have two characters that help her kind of move in, but they leave quite soon after. But originally, I had them stay for longer. And it just wasn't working because, you know, you don't have that gothic thing of her being under threat and her being by herself. Also, the practicalities in the novel, the animals start to go missing and Hetty's worried about them and wants to check them. In earlier drafts, I had her just constantly kind of checking them and locking doors and every night. You know, if she was a professional, she would be doing everything she could to save them and you know, in reality, they would have phoned up, there would have been people coming to help. But that is kind of boring to read someone wandering up and down and checking things off a list and locking doors and every night that just gets bogged down. And I know my editors were like, you need to kind of combine some of this. So it was that kind of conflict of I knew I couldn't make the story in the novel match the reality. And I think also I felt the real Natural History Museum workers, I felt a bit, I don't know, ghoulish if I had used their real stories or their real identities when I knew that the animals in the novel would be more under threat. There's gothic goings on in the novel and some of them get damaged, things happen to them. It just didn't feel to use the real people who had done such amazing work during the war. And then I just knew that I wanted to make a gothic novel and I wanted to be centred around a family this dark past and it didn't then feel right to use too many real details from the Natchez Museum I think. <laughs> it's quite funny what you said about the publishers thinking that the reality of working in a museum is just a bit boring for literature. <laughs> well no not boring but just methodical you know they would have sorted out within a few weeks it would have been like what's going on here let's do this methodical whereas couldn't have her TB. I felt bad for her because she's trying so hard and there's me making things go wrong. I found that really irritating that all of these objects keep disappearing and there's no explanation. It does reveal itself at the end, but of course I won't give out any spoilers. So why did you choose to set this gothic novel in the Second World War? I mean, I just love the Second World War as a setting and the home front. 
finding it just eerie now. The novel's taking on a different layer for me, I suppose, with me being trapped at home and then this global kind of devastation happening outside. And I mean, I was fascinated by that when I wrote it. I think just the tension, the life and death, also the idea that the house and the collections are in some way symbolic for Britain and that idea of the house being a country in miniature under threat during the period where most of the novels set during the phony war, well, I suppose the first two thirds, when the bombings hadn't started yet. Britain was at war and waiting for the bombings. There's a threat that they can't quite see and can't quite pin down, which is quite gothic, I think. I suppose that World War Two is a setting, everything's so heightened, it's life and death, but then also people being people, petty and and brilliant and falling in love and everyday mundanities. I did research into stately homes and servants and during the war a lot of the servants left for the war work or for other jobs and so it's a really interesting time in that history because the owners of these houses had to do things for themselves and they were very lost you know how do we cook how do we clean like a, a change in class and culture it really hastened the end to these estates. Jane have you got any big plans for any other books coming up at the moment? Yeah, I'm editing the second book at the moment. I get a bit secretive when I'm working and stuff, but part of it's set in 1973 and part in 1997. And I can say it's about art and mothers and daughters, again, and the male gaze. Yeah, I think I'll leave it at that. Well, that sounds really exciting. So you obviously do like to write a little bit in the past. How important are these historic settings for your writing? Yeah, I just find historic settings so fascinating and seeing how different people were and how similar they were, especially World War Two, that combination of kind of proper manners and just the language at the time. I love, I've read so many novels and books and diaries. Well, I read The End of the Affair recent, reread it recently, and I just love the diction of the time and the combination of passion and staid kind of manners. What are you reading at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I read a lot of literary fiction. I do love, I suppose, literary, historical fiction, whatever that is. I'm about to reread A Country Road, A Tree by Joe Baker, which is also set during the Second World War. It's an amazing novel. It's about Samuel Beckett in France, and it's amazing. And that's my recommendation to read. It's just stunning. It's like gripping, but really poetic. Jane Healy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, and best of luck with your next book. Thanks for inviting me. It's great. Historical Fiction 